and strangers, does that not make you a serial killer? I didn't kill him every day, did I? Did I go out there every day and say, hmm, I'm going to kill him? If I did, there would well, be hundreds. Well, it took you 12 months. Then he rings up Rex again, and that's when I looked at him and I started sobbing. If I had shot my own children, would I not have done a good job of it? Because, you know, first of all, women generally don't commit crimes this heinous. Right. Uh, you know, this is usually the domain of men. That's unfortunate. Hi, I'm Danny. And I'm Gabe. And this is Murder Her Episode 4. Is it? Yeah, Episode 4. Yeah, okay, Perfect. this is Murder Her Episode 4, the story of Tilly Klemek. So Tilly was born in Poland, and when she was a year old, she came to the United States with her parents. And that was in 1877. In 1895, she married her first husband, John, and... As far as I can tell, they lived a happy life together. They were married for 29 years, but when Tilly turned 49, she mysteriously began to have these dreams about her husband dying. And it was on a certain date, it was January 13th, 1914. She had a dream where he died and he fell sick and died that night. She told her friend about this dream a few weeks prior, and then on January 13th, 1914, he mysteriously fell sick and died that same night. The friend was in complete awe, and soon word began to spread around the neighborhood about how Tilly predicted her husband's death. Tilly collected the insurance money from her husband, and the coroner ended up ruling the death as heart trouble. Not even two months had passed before Tilly moved on and found a new man named Joseph Rizowski. Joseph and Tilly started dating in February, and by May, he began to get sick. Soon, Tilly was dreaming of Joseph's death as well, and she told her friend and her neighbors that she had a dream that he died on May 20th. May 20th came along, and just as Tilly had predicted, he passed away that night. Joseph left Tilly insurance money as well as some cash, and soon after, she met a man named Frank. He was the next man who made it to the altar, and soon after Frank moved in, Tilly began to have visions of his death, and she told all her neighbors that he would not be around long. Frank soon grew sick and kept getting more sick. Tilly asked him to take out a life insurance policy instead of taking him to the doctor, and he complied. She found a coffin on sale and bought it, and she told Frank it was for him. Tilly sat by Frank's side as he grew weaker and weaker, and she spent her time knitting a mourning hat. She told Frank that it was the hat she planned to wear to his funeral. He died six months later, and Tilly was the sole beneficiary. She soon became a legend around the neighborhood and men began to stay away from her. They considered her bad luck. However, within a year, Tilly married the next man. His name was Joseph Klemek. Joseph was a man of means, but he also had a wandering eye. Tilly found this completely unacceptable and did not want to have to compete for his attention. She complained about this to her cousin Nellie, and Nellie suggested divorce. But Tilly responded with, I will get rid of him another way. 
Tilly convinced her husband to take out a life insurance policy, and soon after, he began to get sick. After a few weeks of experiencing pain and weakness, his legs became paralyzed, and he called the doctor. Dr. Peter Burns examined Joseph and deemed him incredibly ill. He immediately called an ambulance and took him to the hospital. The doctors examined him and tested him for arsenic poisoning. Joseph recalled a time when his dog ate some of the food that fell on the floor, and the dog soon died afterwards. And then Joseph began to think about how all the food, especially the soup that Tilly made, tasted off. The hospital officials immediately called the police, who arrested Tilly. Tilly said to the officer, The next one I want to cook dinner for is you. You made all of my troubles. After 18 hours of interrogation, she confessed to poisoning Joseph. Tilly reported that she got the poison from her cousin Nellie and that it was a rat poison called Rough on Rats. Investigators had her ex-husband, all of her ex-husbands, exhumed and tested for arsenic. Every single one tested for high levels of arsenic poisoning in their bodies. It was soon discovered that a lot of people around Tilly had mysteriously died including Nellie, Tilly's cousin's twin children, and her granddaughter. Throughout the trial, Tilly wore the same hat she had knitted for her husband's funeral. Prosecutors read Tilly a list of names, 20 names, and asked her each time if she killed that person, and each time she answered, yeah. Nellie was sentenced for a year in prison with Tilly, and Tilly would relentlessly torment her. She would say things like, Oh, they're going to hang you today, Nellie. However, Nellie was eventually acquitted and released. In March of 1923, Tilly was found guilty for first-degree murder of Frank and only Frank. She was sentenced to life in prison, which was the harshest sentence ever given to a woman in Chicago at the time, and she eventually died at age 60 in 1936 in prison. And that is the story of Tilly Klemek. So in the end, she was only convicted of one murder. Mm-hmm. That's all they tried her for. Um, I couldn't really find a reason. I know in other cases, they usually only do one at a time in case this person is found innocent. They can come back for another murder. Yeah, right. That seems a little... I mean, I guess she ended up dying in prison, so in a sense, the outcome would have been the same. Mm-hmm. But it still seems... A little unfair to you know if she's if she's confessing to 20 murders but yeah perhaps that was the reasoning of the police well this murder is enough to make her rot in jail so yeah so she definitely murdered her what four husbands and then she had one boyfriend who mysteriously died yeah and then what like 15 other people that's what around she, that's her. what she's claiming which i'm a little surprised by um i I do wonder if she truly killed all of them or if it was one of those situations where it's like well i'm going to prison anyways may as well yeah i'm not sure it was really hard to find anything about the other people i know uh i mentioned two of them were her cousin's twin children and one of them was her cousin's grandchild so that's three people who probably were easy to yeah to access yeah yeah and then she also was supposedly really known for like her soups her stew 
she was like famous for how good it was in her neighborhood. Um, so I mean, it wouldn't be hard to. It's the arsenic. That's flavor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Gives it that extra kick. Yeah. So she probably could have poisoned her whole neighborhood if you wanted. I mean, some of these guys, it seems like it took months for her to kill, and then other ones died really quickly. Like her first husband died within weeks of her predicting his death. That's what I wonder about. Is so how she got the yeah, dates like, right? But arsenic, it can. I mean, it depends. On, it depends on the dosage. So maybe what she would do is give low dosage and then like ramp the up. night before just yeah give like a bunch. Why even ramp up to it? Why not just give them a whole bunch in one city? I mean, she was doing all the cooking. Um, well, she did need them to get the life insurance That's policies true. figured That's out. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she just liked feeling special, being like, I can predict your death. That's true. But, like, from what I just looked up, arsenic doesn't have a taste to it, which is really? makes it especially dangerous. Oh, well, she didn't just use arsenic. It was um that rat poison she used that had arsenic in it, which was the main. Right. So maybe it was the rat poison that had other stuff in it. Yeah, I could believe they would give rat poison flavor and a smell, so humans would be less likely to ingest it. Or it's more like rats would want to eat it. Yeah, that too. Yeah. And her first kill was in 1914. And she was 49. Wow. Her first kill. Really late. Yeah. Kind of like, like, you know, the, what was her name? The, the soap maker of... Oh, shut up. <laughs> uh, her name was Leonarda Chanchuli. Right. But same situation where she seemed to start late in life or claimed to start late in life. Well, Leonarda started because her son was in danger and she was trying to save him. Right. Um, and this woman seems to... I mean, she had been with her husband 29 years. Maybe she's just like, I am just ready for a change. There was actually an episode of House that uh, opens with what appears to be like a rape scene and then ends up being like a couple engaging in some, some rape play. Gotta keep it new, exciting. Yeah, nothing more exciting than rape play. You know, we don't judge. Yeah, no, we do not kink shame here. <laughs> as long as it's consensual. Yes, follow your bliss <laughs> in your consensual rape play. Mm-hmm. But, oh, but in the, in the episode of House, so... It ends up being that this couple is like ideal, or or they have what seems to be a perfect relationship. They're they love each other, both driven. They support each other, and even for like the guy's birthday, they like had a threesome with the wife's best friend. And throughout the show, the doctors, besides House, are like, if if this is not a near perfect marriage, we don't know what is. And House insists that every marriage is inherently flawed, and sort of spoiler alert for the episode in the end it ends up that she's been poisoning her husband with gold putting gold flakes in his food and he has a gold allergy and that and the reason he kept getting sick even in the hospital is because she would keep giving him food with gold flakes in it and at the end house has determined she's causing this by putting this chemical on her hands that turns purple in the presence of gold and her hands is hand is her hands are covered in the stuff in, in this purple marking so he asks her, like, or he tells her, I would like to know why he did this, but I know I'll never know. And, you know, then the cops come and they take her away. And it's kind of like this, where you're married 22 years, and as you said, said 29. 29 years, and as you said in the beginning, 
there was no there was no record of her being unhappy with the marriage. Mm-mm. But much like in this house episode, the wife just kind of reached the point where she said, "There's nothing necessarily wrong with this marriage. I just don't want to be in it anymore, and the life insurance money would be great." <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I wonder what divorce was like back then as well. Like, it probably was not nearly as well accepted, especially no. in the Polish community where they're right. so religious. Yeah, I don't think divorce was even legal for some time after that. Yeah, so maybe she just that was wanted an out. Yeah. Yeah, but, and then, like, she was so stoked about it, she just kept doing it. She's like, yeah. wow, this is a great way to make money. It's like, guys, just keep eating my food. Yeah. They have life insurance policies. Yeah. It's like smashing a piggy bank open over and over. <laughs> and yeah. She was, yeah, I mean, and she did it to. It, it was such, it's such a guy thing where you, you reach the point where after like the third guy, it became like n- sort of a legend or, or men knew, okay, her partners keep dropping dead. And it, even as soon as you said that, I, I, I thought to myself, yeah, that's not going to keep guys away. I actually read that she met her last husband, Joseph Klemek, at her previous husband's funeral. Quick turnaround. Yeah, she, yeah. And she, like, almost tormented her, uh, like, the one she was convicted of, Frank. She, like, bought him a coffin before he died. She knitted her mourning hat while he was sick in bed. Like, it was totally a form of torture. It, it must have become a power thing where, I mean, yeah, how powerful would it be, especially as a woman during those times, to know, wow, like, I have power over life and death and that must have a certain allure to a certain type of person well and also like i mean after the second husband any of these guys she got with it seems like i mean i don't want to say they're stupid but (laughs) they're not smart (laughs) yeah i mean she's predicting these deaths of not just people but like her husbands and they're still like yeah yeah, I'll put a ring on that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, sort of on the positive note, she must have been in her fifties. She was, yeah, because the first husband died when she was forty-nine, and then she killed three. So it was probably she was, yeah, like early fifties before she was caught. Yeah, and yet she kept finding husbands. So you know, there's love for everyone out there, regardless of where you're at in life. See, the real, the real, real takeaway here is that this is a positive story about finding love at any stage in your life. No, I mean, come on. Some people can't. It's fine. That's true. I guess, yeah, like, because ultimately, I'm sure she, she came off as very well adjusted and she, you know. She, she made the best stew. Right. And back then, like, <laughs> no. a homemaker who cooks. Oh, yes. yeah. That was yeah. winner. Done. I know. Nowadays, it's, like, much harder. You have to, like, actually try. Yeah. There's actually a, <laughs> you do have to actually try. Do you? Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, (laughs) yes, yes, in the sense that I did some reading. This was now a couple of years back, sort of on how the, what a partner, what a significant other, how that's shaped throughout the the decades or even the centuries, really. Whereas before, it's kind of like a business arrangement. It's like a partnership. You work together to make a home, raise the kids. 
And now we expect our partners to provide all of this fulfillment. Like they have to fulfill you on like many different areas besides just someone to build a home and raise kids with. Now we expect partners to have similar interests. You know, maybe even partially fulfill you spiritually. And and maybe each of these was a was a factor on its own or in, or in a cluster back then. But now a partner has to, has to be so much for you that wasn't really expected. And look, I'm saying this, this is it's better this way. Because, you know, um, all I need is somebody who supports my plant addiction and my crazy dog who hates everybody. Honestly, that, that sounds pretty easy to find, though. So, I, I mean, you've met anarchy. It's not easy. That's true. <laughs> there's there's got to be more to it than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do see what you're saying. It is way yeah. different. There's different um, expectations on both parties now, especially right. like women are expected, not expected, but more. So now to have a job and yeah, bring money in versus back then they were expected to stay home and raise kids. Yes, and it does that. That is especially interesting for women. Women because you no no longer need to rely on a guy to to provide an income for you. So it, it might sound I, mean, but it, it does. Yeah, like if, I think in many cases raise the question of like why have a guy? So suddenly you're left. I ask myself that all the time. Yeah. I, uh, I just, yeah, same. I have <laughs> never had a guy and it's, it's pretty great so far. So <laughs> I don't see the, I don't see the appeal. Uh, yeah. But that has, and again, it's a, a good thing, but it's you know a paradigm I, shift. I think Tilly was just ahead of her time. Yeah. She's like, I don't need these men. They're just expendable. For, I mean, for life insurance, she, why not stop with like after the third guy? Or even the fourth guy, like surely that would have been en- been enough money. Well, I mean, even the if you count her boyfriend who wasn't her husband, five guys. Yeah. Um, I actually it was really hard to find out how much it was. I read somewhere one of them was like three hundred dollars, one of them was like a thousand. Like there's a huge range. But yeah, I'm gonna look up. Couple with inflation. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if she got a thousand dollars from a guy, which she did from. Her first husband. Today, that would be almost twenty six thousand dollars. Okay. So that's like, yeah, I I could see why she'd keep killing. Yeah, that's not huge. No. And and yeah, there's ultimately the issue of she gets this this payday from from killing these guy, uh, one of her husbands, but it's harder to just work as a woman in those times. Because this, because yeah, the women joining the workforce in mass didn't occur till World War II. Yeah, I mean, it was either stay with a guy and have him get all the money and prostitution. She could have done that. Still illegal, risky, high risk of violence and murder. She, I, yeah, maybe she did the mental math of why I put myself in danger when I can put men in danger. I wonder if she liked them at all. I know she must have liked her first husband at least at some point, but. I wonder if she liked any of the rest at any point. Well, some of them she did stay with longer. Like one of them she married and killed him within three months of meeting him. And the other one was almost, it was like over six months. So. Damn, that's not, that's not very long. <laughs> I mean, that's right past the honeymoon phase. Yeah. So it, it would have well, been just long enough to two to three months. It's like, oh, it's great. By six months, you're like, over this 
Kobe and I are on five years, and we're still in the honeymoon phase. So you just didn't meet the right guy. Can't tell if you're kidding or not. <laughs> Never. Okay. I get it. In case Kobe listens, smart. Um, yeah. I actually met, or I actually recently, just speaking of women, read about these women in World War II who were hired to be pilots to bomb Nazis. And it's super interesting. It might be too much of a segue, so I'll make this quick. Okay, so in World War II, there, there are these women who are hired by the Soviet Union to be pilots and drop bombs on uh, just Germans. And they were pretty much given like two or three months to learn what men had been training for three plus years to learn. And they were given, there's only a few hundred of them, like three or 400 of these women who were chosen. And they were taken and they're put in this training camp and they were given these planes that were literally made out of plywood. They were like just the worst, just throwaway planes that they had. And they're like, all right, guys, these are the planes you have. Learn how to fly them, learn how to drop bombs, and that's it. And these women figured out, like, not only how to fly these planes, but how to effectively bomb these Germans by, they would fly really high because the planes were so loud, and then they would turn off the engine and just drop whenever, and then drop the bombs, and then uh, the co-pilot would have to go out onto the wings to restart the engine mid-drop and then they would have to fly away and um they did that so that they weren't heard because the planes were so loud so they would drop until they got like close enough to the ground to drop these bombs and make sure they're in the right position and since these planes were made like literally out of plywood if they were shot the planes would just blow up like <laughs> get set on fire and i think that these women were chosen just like to be on suicide missions that's what it sounds like right but they ended up being like really effective and they're called the night witches because when the planes were dropping without the engine you could only hear what was described as sounding like a broom what they thought a broom flying would be like like sound oh, like that's pretty cool yeah isn't that cool and so they went on hundreds of missions and like were super successful and um after the war was won the Soviet Union had this huge parade where all the pilots and stuff like flew over and you know kind of like they tried to do with like yay healthcare people you yeah. probably didn't did you hear about that uh, yeah yeah I, I think I saw a video yeah it was very depressing but anyway so they had this like huge parade where all the like uh, people who flew and stuff were invited, and these women weren't allowed to come because their planes were too slow. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that awful? And Honestly, like, I was about to, yeah, as you were telling me this, I was about to ask or say, let me guess, the Soviet Union totally recognized them for their acts? Yeah, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> they were never, like, recognized and... They're, like, not taught about at all. Like, I randomly came across them. I don't even... One of my random Wikipedia binges. And, yeah, it was so interesting. 
and just like really sad because they're all probably dead now and they never really got the recognition they deserve yeah that's pretty shitty but man what a cool life to have though i know right (laughs) bombing people like having to get out on a wing of a plane as it, as it's free falling yeah and oh also since their planes were so shitty they couldn't even have do we cuss on this sure okay they didn't even have like any of the high tech stuff back then like they didn't have a radio or anything they had a compass a map and like a pencil so what they would do is they would send in a plane ahead of them who would um like drop low who didn't have a bomb find the right spot and drop a flare to show where to drop the bomb because they didn't have like any of the radios and stuff to like communicate or show where stuff was that's really cool yeah they had to overcome a lot and they ended up being very effective Mm Hmm. yeah you should really look into them it's amazing anyways yeah so i guess the meaning of this all is Tilly Klemek was totally in the right. Not all men are insurance money pinatas you can beat around, okay, Mm-mm. Danny? And that was Murder, episode four. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, which are both very active. And we actually have both pages. Look we at us. We do, yeah. Being ahead of the curve. Nailed it. If you liked this episode, follow us on Instagram at murderher.podcast or go to murderher.com. That's M-U-R-D-H-E-R. Thank you.